Hello to all our listeners and welcome to episode four of the Living the Grace Life podcast. I'm your host, recently arrived to Sarasota resident Jim Hobbs, and next to me as always, lead pastor of Grace Life Church. And can I say a lifetime Gulf Coaster? Is that the language I would use to describe someone who's grown up here? I wasn't yes, entirely that, sure, that Joe. Is, Joe that, Davis. I need to ask a question. After four episodes, are we officially celebrities now, or how many episodes? Oh, I think we were before. Oh, we were? Okay, good. I just wanted <laughs> we, to make sure. We knew that. I don't think others I did. I needed to adjust my LinkedIn, and I didn't know if I was able to put- Didn't your 50,000 Instagram followers tell you this, that you were all right? <laughs> that... Instagram? No. I'm with you on that. Uh, this is exciting because there's so much, Joe, to cover. We have worked our way up to chapter two of your book. And this, uh, this topic that we're going to be talking about, I think is one that kind of touches everyone. In fact, it was touched on last time we talked with Wayne, our amazing studio producer right here. He asked this question, why would a good God allow such horrible suffering? And I hear this one a lot. So this is, and in the, a lot of times I hear the answer. I don't, if God is sovereign, why does he allow it? That's a, that comes with that. So we're going to touch on that. We'll also begin our look at that chapter two of Pastor Joe's book, The Grace Life, What Philippians Teaches Us About Loving One Another Relentlessly. It is available now on Amazon and everywhere else online. Be sure to look that up. You get your book and you can follow along with us. Also an audio version now available. Is that right? That's correct. And I just had some interaction with uh, the guy that narrated. I forget his name now. I'll have it next time we meet, but he's a really great guy and uh, he did a great job with the book. I always like the narration. Yeah, I'm going to have him do the future books too. So Ah, that'll be good. That's great. If you've got a question, if you're listening to the book or reading it, Email us at livingthegracelifepodcast at gmail.com. We've got a question we're going to answer here, some Q&A. And stay with us to find out more about how you can receive a signed copy of Pastor Joe's book. All of that in this fourth episode of Living the Grace Life. First, Joe, we've got a pretty heavy subject here, yeah, talking about suffering. And I hear this one a lot, you know, if I'm professing my faith or why is it that a God, a good God, you know, Chris Tomlin sings the song, You're a Good, Good Father, who adopted us, as we talked about last episode, why would he allow such horrific suffering? We see it in the news. We can't get away from it. It's on our news feeds. It's everywhere. Um, how can these two elements be, uh, be reconciled? We're going to be reading a little bit here of Philippians. We're going through the second half of Philippians 1 here, and we'll get to that. But just first, if someone were to ask you that question as a pastor, Joe, you have faith. Um, I have this horrible thing happening to me, or I've done it to myself. Why would a loving God allow that? I've had this question asked me dozens of times, mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. more. There are two types of people that are asking the question. There are those who are followers of Christ who ask the question because they want to understand. Then there are those who ask the question uh, out of malice, mm-hmm. who want to use it as an excuse to not be connected to Heavenly Dad. Say, well, if that if your God is real, 
then why would he allow these terrible things to happen in the world? So to kind of test you that, hey, this right, what you believe in isn't real. So the, the question is actually a two types of question kind of question, depending upon the motive of the person asking. So I'll deal with the uh, second type first, the person who is um, doing it out of malice, maybe not out of malice, but trying to trying to uh, maybe catch you. Yeah, right. So I was thinking about this the other day when somebody asked me the question. And it's funny how we as humans are in love with our free will. We adore it. Don't tell me what to do. Mm. We learn that when we are, what, three years old, right? You don't have to send your kids to rebellion camp. <laughs> they know that they know it innately, right? They just know it. And so humans love their own free will. And of course, as we see, every human uses their free will for bad things. Almost always we use our free will, unless God intervenes, for self-fulfillment, even if it's couched in something that looks benevolent. It's actually malevolent mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. we're, we're doing it for our own self. And so as a result, after thousands of years of human history, of depraved humans using their free will to fulfill their own lusts and their own desires, there are many, many consequences. And it's kind of strange, right? Uh, when I think of that, I hear people screaming for fairness mm -hmm. or justice from God. Why would he allow evil? And they ask this question, why bad things happen? But we continue in the middle of that to make evil choices that have these horrible consequences, not only on ourselves, but those around us. So it's almost like we're saying, why would you, God, allow me to have to endure the consequences of my own ridiculousness? Right. Why would you allow me to suffer consequences of my bad decisions? You should make it so I don't ever feel any consequences. Yeah, it's almost someone who is doing it to themselves or doing it to others around them. It goes a little bit to maybe the pond example I think you had mentioned in a previous podcast too, where everybody's throwing that rock into the pond. It's rippling and rippling. And there's just so much of this uh, energy that has been caused by one mistake after another, all the way from the Garden of Eden down. And you're saying because of that, the people who are asking that question need to maybe ask a different question. Are you saying that why is it that God holds you accountable for what you've done? It, would you spin it like that? Well, the real question, when, when I'm talking to somebody who's asking that question in a malevolent way, the real question I ask them is, you're asking the wrong question. The real question is, how does anything good ever happen? Considering the fact that there are generations of humans that have made horrible decisions with their free will, causing consequence and pain to those around them for hundreds and thousands of years. The real question is, man, how does anything good ever happen in this world? Mm. And that's really the question you should ask. And so when you look at your own life, when I look back on my own life, sure, I've gone through things that are a result of other people's bad decisions. But most of my hardship, not all, but a lot of my hardship is because of my own lack of wisdom or selfishness or bad decisions, bad choices. And so that really ends up becoming the question that should be asked. Not how does anything, why does everything bad always happen? It's how does anything good? And the answer is the grace of God. Yeah, that goes, I guess, in a sense to what Paul is kind of saying in Philippians, because here he is in prison. I mean, his circumstances cannot be considered good whatsoever. No. He's locked up and he's not locked up because he's committed a 
criminal activity against someone per se. He's apparently locked up because he's preaching the gospel, which is not what you're supposed to be doing. So he's in jail, and Philippians, the letter I think that says joy more than any other letter in the Bible, he's expressing his love and joy that he has, but his circumstances aren't dictating that. So would you say when someone is looking at suffering and saying, why does God allow that? Are they looking towards themselves to see that their circumstances don't meet what it is that they wish that they were? And so their externals are driving their internals. It seems to me like Paul is taking the internal joy that he has for Christ and making that his joy. So maybe is it a way that we look at our situation? Yeah, the malevolent asking of the question is designed to escape personal responsibility for the most part. That's what I believe. Uh, Normally, that's what I've seen take place. It's, It's people trying to escape the responsibility for their own free will choices that have been evil. Okay, Uh, when people are asking it for a benevolent reason, like I just want to know why this is happening, what is going on? Right. I mean, obviously, there's a bevy of examples in the New Testament. The book of James counted all joy when you go through difficult temptations and all through, you know, Corinthians. But in Philippians, Paul's situation is pretty amazing. He's on house arrest and he's in chains. Mm. He's not sure if he's going to survive this. He knows there's a real possibility that he could very well be sentenced to death. So he's got this sword hanging over his head. He can't visit the people that he loves anymore. He's restrained to his house. He can't see the Philippians. He can't go to them. Uh, This church he started on his second missionary journey that he's just fallen in love with. It's just been amazingly supportive. And in all that, he says, there's been some good stuff that has happened because of this. The, The word has gotten out about who I am and why I'm in here. And now more people are talking about the gospel. And he says... In the midst of my suffering, God is turning it around and using it for good. Yeah, he seems he seems happy. I mean, he even says, yes, and I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I got to break in on that. That's just an amazing thing because at that point, and that's supernatural, by the way, Paul doesn't say that because he's just such an amazing, selfless person. That is not who Paul was when he was exercising his free will to execute Christians. Right. I mean, he hated Christians. He especially hated Gentile Christians. Right. He oversaw the stoning of Stephen. I think it's mentioned in Acts. And now his favorite people in the world are Gentile Christians. And he says, I would be willing to die if it meant your benefit. It's it's a pretty fascinating thing. And it is a supernatural transformation. So in the midst of suffering, Paul sees an opportunity to serve those around him. So then in that example, so Paul or Saul, as he's called, I guess, up until the point that he encounters Christ. So this is the story of the road to Damascus, where he is struck down in a way by Christ. He he has an encounter with Christ and he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? His eyes are closed, scales go over them. He can't see for three days. And then are you saying then by his suffering, because he comes in contact with the living Christ, Christ comes after him, chooses him, 
crushes him in the middle of this road and says, dude, that's it. We're going to do things now. You've done it your way. That's fine. We're going to do things my way. And he adheres to that sort of giving up his free will. Is that the, is that the way suffering works in the sense that, like you said, it's supernatural, but I'm not sure he knew what was happening. So the best way that I can make this personal and relevant to people that are listening is to rely upon my own experience in suffering. Now, you know, I've suffered in the past, you know, where I, I got fired from a job and that was terrible, you know, and that hurt. Uh, somebody broke up with me. That was terrible. And I got, you know, when the Bucks would lose all the time, that's been terrible. You know, that's some suffering us Buck fans, you know, but the real issue is when when we lost a child, I'm not I'm not minimizing suffering. That's something different. But I can say that I really learned this concept when our family, my son, Ben and my wife, Laura, and I were grieving the loss of our daughter. That was suffering. And of course, it was painful. And of course, we wish that had never happened. But you and I would not be talking. People would not be hearing. There'd be no grace life. There would be none of this. And in the end, it is that time that has allowed me to be a better pastor, a better friend, a better shepherd better husband, better father than I was before. And so what we see happening is if somebody's asking, why does God allow this? Well, remember, God does not put suffering in your life. We live in a world that hates our faith. We live in a world that is designed to be counteractive to what God is doing with his joy and the blessings of grace. And so in reality, this suffering, what it really does is it reveals just how great God's grace is. And I'll kind of close it with this concept. You mentioned Paul's story about how he was, what he was using his free will for. Right. Think about this. This is what's so amazing about God's sovereign will. He chooses us even while we are saying, no, I'm in charge. No, I'm in charge. I'm going to do things the way I want to do them. And God says, yeah, enough of that. Now I'm in charge. And that's pretty amazing. He he vetoes our free will with his own. (laughs) That he gave us. Yes. And that's such an amazing act of grace, in my opinion. When someone is in deep suffering, did you question? Like, did you have difficult conversations with God? As in, why did this happen? Why did you do this? I would, you know, I have a good friend, my mentor, who's had Lou Gehrig's disease for 16 years. He looks back and says he would never, ever trade it for anything. He just wrote a book, The Luckiest Man. But he didn't do that when he found out he was diagnosed with it. In fact, he was angry and he yelled and he screamed at God and God just sat there. And then he said, are you done? He kept hearing, are you done yet, John? Because if you're not, we're not going to have, and then he gave up. He said, God, I have your will, let your will be done. I mean, now you look back and you can see all of that, but right as things are happening, I mean, did you question your faith? So there are different ways that people respond to this suffering. We're humans and we are a moving target. So for me, there were moments of frustration uh, with people involved, uh, with the process afterwards. But I can say, and this is not to glorify Joe at all, it was a supernatural thing. All through the worst times, I didn't doubt my faith. I didn't doubt God. My trust in God got greater 
And I found myself completely, totally reliant upon my connection to Heavenly Dad, which, by the way, was through his sovereign will, not my free will. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of that, I was more connected to my father than ever before in my life. It didn't take away the pain. didn't keep me from crying out. It didn't keep me from struggling. But it kept me connected. To me, that is 100% supernatural sovereign grace that allowed me to experience the worst thing life can offer, in my opinion, the worst thing life can offer. And I was, I guess I'll summarize it like this. I had a friend that asked me how I was doing. And I said, you know, sometimes I'm hurting. Sometimes I'm shouting. Sometimes I'm crying. Sometimes I'm singing. But through all of it, I am always thriving. Wow, that's, a, that's big. It's supernatural. It's not human because my free will would not allow me to thrive in that scenario. That's unreal. To me, I can't imagine the loss. I, I, uh, I can't imagine it, but the, I don't, I guess I can't say what I would do because I, I wouldn't know. I know that Richard Rohr, um, you know, would say, you know, famous author and uh, great suffering and unexplainable love are the two ways that we find Christ, the only two ways, and we don't find him, he finds us. Correct. But you're saying, would you say in your instance, great suffering and unexplainable love were happening simultaneously? Absolutely. It's the only way to explain it. Great suffering and unexplainable love. I mean, those two words put together, it's, it's a supernatural thing. But in the end, what we know is that without suffering and without pain, we're never going to really know. This is this is key. Without suffering and pain, we're never going to really be able to measure and know just how much God's sovereign grace is transforming us. So does that mean that suffering is not just a reality of our fallen place in this world, but suffering is needed what grace to does, differentiate? Yeah. What grace does is it flips suffering on its head. Before Christ, suffering is nothing but pain, hardship, and no benefit spiritually speaking. But once God's sovereign grace enters into your life, all things work together for good to those who are the called according to his purpose. And what begins to happen is these moments of pain and the moments of hardship become just as crucial to our spiritual development as the moments of joy and the moments of blessing. And as we grow in our maturity in Christ and our connection to Heavenly Dad, we begin to um, appreciate both suffering and blessing equally. So that's the paradox in the sense that if someone hasn't found Christ or doesn't have faith in their life, then there is no point to suffering. Would you agree with that? Here's what I would say. If there is benefit to their suffering, it's very temporal and it ends with this life. But with Heavenly Dad, the benefit to our suffering becomes eternal. This is such a big 
topic, Joe. We're going to spend a couple of podcasts here on this, and your book spends chapter two on it. And it says, it doesn't say suffering alone. Correct. It's titled Suffering Together. And that, I think, in a lot of ways, people (laughs) tend to shy away from because they don't want to tell people in their vulnerable, intimate, authentic, sacrificial state that they are suffering. Because there is something in society, especially in America, where we're supposed to handle our own business or as men man up or, you know, we're supposed to take care of our suffering on our own. But you write in here by the title of this suffering together on page 25. In fact, it is impossible to step outside of your personal pain and suffering and think about others unless you understand the depth of God's sovereignty. So how do I suffer together with someone, understanding God's the one in charge, but yet here's someone next to me who has three days to live with cancer, and I'm there with them knowing that apparently I'm supposed to be with them, but I can't help. Or, I can't. or they're supposed to be with you. See, this is the point. So there are two ways to look at suffering together. On the opposite side, suffering alone, there are, um, there are a couple of ways that people suffer selfishly. The first one, as you mentioned, where I'm just going to handle it on my own. Nobody's going to know about it. Uh, In reality, that can be very selfish because there might be lessons you're learning that people that you love and love you need to hear. Mm. But then there's the other side of suffering alone where you tell everybody about it because you want the attention. You want the uh, people feeling sorry for you. You want the compassion. You want the empathy because pity. Yeah. yeah, And, you know, I see a lot of it in social media posts. People put a lot of their stuff these days on Facebook or on Instagram looking for people to feel bad for them. That's suffering alone in a selfish way, but publicly. Mm. So suffering together takes a different perspective, which is, go ahead. No, that makes sense because then together there's a way that things are talked about. You're saying that's a two-way street. So I'm sitting there next to someone who, let's say, has cancer and doesn't have long to live. My thinking is really incorrect then that I'm saying wow, I can't do anything here to help this person. What you're saying is not only am I helping them, but at the same time- Well, think about it, Jim. Who's probably more inclined to be able to understand the frailty of life at that point? You or them. Mm -hmm. And if they're children of God, and this person who might only have three days to live is suffering, but they're connected to Heavenly Dad, odds are they're going to be much more in tune with spiritual things than you are at that moment. It's not a, a slight to you, But it's just an example of what is going on in their life at that moment. And so from that perspective, uh, suffering can be a gift. So when I was preaching this sermon. Suffering could be a gift, you said. Yes. A gift for who? A gift to those around you, not just to yourself. So when I was preaching this sermon a few years ago, um, I pointed out two examples of people in our congregation that had gone through suffering that had been a huge gift to me. I mentioned a friend of mine named Mark who had gone through some horrible things in his life with bad choices and addiction and how God had drawn him out. And I said, you know, Mark, your suffering has been an incredible inspiration to me. Had a friend, Linda, who was going through cancer and it was terminal cancer, but throughout it, she was serving God and loving people. And she, in the middle of suffering with cancer, when she found out we were going to plant this church called Grace Life, while she's struggling and suffering, she goes, we're coming over to help you plan a church. 
That blew me away. How could you be thinking about a church? You don't know how much time you have. And she comes over and I said, Linda, in front of the church, I said, Linda, your suffering has been an inspiration to me. And there's a man named Chris Martini, who I've been working with at the Nightlife Center, which is mm. our outreach to at-risk Sure, I've been with him for 11 years. And uh, he and I have been side by side working on this ministry for at-risk teens. And uh, Chris is in a wheelchair. And uh, he was in an accident as a drunk driver. He tells a story all over the country. But now he's an incredible man of God. He loves his church. He serves people. He's such a tremendous blessing to me. And I said in my sermon, Chris, your suffering has transformed me as a man to see how you have served God, even going through the consequences of your own bad free will. And God has transformed you. And so those are examples of people suffering together. They have this suffering. And selfishly speaking, and I want to be careful when I say this, because I don't want it to be taken the wrong way. But man, I'm glad they went through what they did, because I would not be the pastor I am today without it. And I've told them that face to face. I know, right? It sounds, um, there's almost like a guilt in saying that, because you're, you're not saying thank goodness you're suffering because now I picked up these three attributes and, and got to see it in a way I wouldn't have seen before. You're saying that in a way you're like, for my mentor, I was drawn to him. So he was sitting there, no use of his arms and legs in a wheelchair. I saw the type of person that he was. I didn't even really know. I didn't even think about it in terms of it would be nice to pick up A, B, or C. I just was like, I got to get close to this guy. I just knew it. And it wasn't about me. There was just a presence that he had that he said he didn't have until all of his suffering, at which point that presence then becomes a blessing. So what you're saying, these people in their brokenness and in their suffering, either by their own choices or things that just happened to them, that brokenness and the way that they're able to carry on becomes a supernatural, almost inspiration for you. My wife is the one that taught me this. And I have, I have stolen this from her probably a thousand times in talking to other people, but I give her credit. I'm giving her credit now. <laughs> She said, what our suffering did for us is it gave us the privilege. This is really heavy stuff. It gave us the privilege of living life with one foot in eternity. And so what it means is, yes, we know there's a better place coming and we really want to be there. We really want to be there. Mm -hmm. But it has allowed us to make a lot more noise with this other foot that's stuck here because we have one foot in eternity. We have another foot here saying, guys, you have no idea what's happening on the other side, but we're getting a glimpse of it through this suffering. And so while we have one foot in eternity, it allows the foot that's not in eternity, that's here on earth. That's what Paul said right? when he said, you know, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And he says, I'd be okay if I could be with the father, but if I need to stay here and wait for that to happen for your benefit, I'm willing to do it. And that's really the that's really a result of suffering. So the reason that you were drawn to your mentor is because his suffering had allowed him to have one foot in eternity. And you didn't maybe even realize it, but that's what was so appealing to you. You were said you were drawn to him. It's because as a believer, as a child of God, you recognized, okay, he's more in touch with eternity right now than I am. Yes. And he would say the same thing in the sense that he needed to publish this book that he just published. And that was sort of his 
His his he needed to just as I guess Paul would need to write this letter, or just as anyone would feel the need to start up this church or whatever it is, you're compelled to do it, and not from the standpoint of well, I should be serving. I've only got so much time left. No, it's not. It's there's an inner supernatural urge that's almost overtaken you that compels you then it sounds like into that space suffering gives you moments of time that that enable you to have the spiritual ability to fall out of love with the world and in love with the father and so while some people will try to use suffering as an excuse to be disconnected in reality what suffering does is it gives you a moment to realize okay, this world is really a fallen place. I don't love it like I thought I did. I want to be with Heavenly Dad where he takes away, wipes away the tears, takes away the pain, conquers sin and death. Count me in on that. Huh. So in that aspect, since we do have, or the idea as you're saying to have one foot here in reality, one foot in eternity, are we kind of then watching ourselves living in both worlds, trying to decide how we balance that. Because in this example that you gave earlier, giving up on free will and then giving up on the thought that this world can provide me all it is that I want. It sounds to me like that things, let's just say like comfort. Like if I want to be comfortable which to a lot of people means a lot of things. But if it means more money or bigger family or better house or better relationships, like if, if I want more comfort, I don't tend to find that unless I begin to suffer in all of those areas. And, and, and myself, I almost give up and I say, well, I, I can't do this, God. That's why I'm praying or that's what, you know, and it's not a wish list. It's just Christ. I, I don't... Uh, I don't know what I'm doing here. Well, what happens you. is, what happens, Jim, I'm glad you brought that up. Suffering uh, changes your value system. It is natural to want comfort, right? That's what we want. Sure. But suffering enables you to understand what true comfort and true peace and true satisfaction really are. And it shifts once your paradigm shift and your values shift, you will find that your decision-making changes, your relationships change, and the way you interact with this fallen world, which by the way, does nothing but produce suffering, the way you interact with the fallen world begins to be transformed moment by moment. And you begin to realize, okay, now I have one foot in eternity. And then you actually on page 29 then go into suffering together helps us grow individually and corporately. If we lived our lives without any difficulties, would we feel a need for God? So that goes into the area, okay, we need to do this together, but is suffering there for us to see Christ following right behind us? Like, is it is it, does it have to be there? Will it all, and it will always be here, I guess you're saying. What suffering does is it allows you to understand the cost of living by your own free will. Suffering allows you to place a value on your own spirituality and your own frailty to measure it, if you will. What I love about it is what, what I said that is that could you imagine if you had no suffering 
everything was fine. How often would you cry out to Heavenly Dad? Right. You may not need, you would be in charge of yourself. And Things so, would be good, right? Yeah. And so from that respect, um, we live in a fallen world where evil choices and evil decisions for thousands of years have caused a lot of pain and agony. And yet somehow, even through that, God's sovereign grace pierces through, intervenes, and cordons off these segments of blessing and connection to him that bring this supernatural satisfaction with the presence of God, which is the definition of joy. It is the supernatural satisfaction, even in suffering, with the presence of God over anything this fallen, free will, corrupted world has to offer. And as you scroll through the newsfeed, and I think this is what gets a lot of people, you see all of the fallen corruptness that the world has to offer. You're saying for someone who then says, oh my gosh, how can God allow these things to be happening? You're saying it's the wrong question to ask. The question is not just how can good things even happen in this fallen world, but that looking at that newsfeed to drive your joy is actually not the place you will find it. You will only find your joy in Christ through the grace that he's given us as we were sinners before we even knew that we needed him. That can never be taken away so that the one foot in eternity and the one foot in the here and now is actually a reality and we can look at the newsfeed and be able to go, yes, this isn't good, but God is good by the grace of God. Does that is that strong enough for someone to get over the negativity as they see it on the news? Well, this is why this is why I've fallen in love with the recovery community. Mm. When I hear their stories about the suffering that they've endured because of their addictions because of their bad decisions. And then they talk about being grateful and having gratitude. I'm amazed by it because it is exactly the message that I'm trying to communicate in Philippians 2. And I remember one night at a recovery community we have in our church called Grace Life Recovery, some people shared some really deep things, but not just to vent, but about how these deep things brought them to a place where they had to rely upon, and they named their higher power Jesus. Mm -hmm. They had to rely upon Jesus for transformation. And after they were done, the room was silent. And I just said, thank you for allowing your suffering to bless your pastor. I've been blown away by the story about how your suffering has made my faith and connection to Heavenly Dad stronger than before I heard your story. time for the email and Q&A portion of our podcast. And Joe, this week we talked about prayer last week, which I thought was really interesting in the fact uh, it seemed to me the responses that I was getting were from people who had spent a lot of time in prayer. So I would have thought the opposite, that people that were not spending much time in prayer would be the ones that would be benefiting from, okay, look, prayer is much different than you may think. It's walking around, it's doing this, it's doing that. But you actually, from a lot of people, and this comes from 
a pastor, actually, who has just begun. They just graduated from seminary. Her name is Caroline, and she is now in hospital ministry. Mm. And so each day in the emergency rooms, if you want to talk suffering, I'm talking Mm. devastation. Mm -hmm. And she has this supernatural way of communicating, she feels like, with her higher power. So she was saying that she thanks us for having the podcast that's about prayer and then asked the question, how does she know what is prayer during the day? Because she, as a pastor, seems to be common, can feel some guilt and shame that there's not enough prayer. The prayer life needs to get better. I'm not doing this or that. But much of her day, she's sensing in her calmness and her serenity that maybe what she actually is doing at that moment is prayer, and there are no words. Mm-hmm. It's as if the moment is the prayer. It's like a mindfulness. Thing. So it's a great question. So I'll answer it two ways. First of all, reminder, she should get the book, The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence after she buys The Grace Life. Got it, got she, it. Like, there's the rule you have to buy. <laughs> no, but she should buy that book. It's very thin. It's less than 100 pages. It's great. Okay. She'll learn a lot from that. But to me... Anytime you do something and you acknowledge the presence of God in it, for example, I was listening the other day, I was going for a jog and I was listening to a secular song and without getting into who the artist was, they're amazing musicians. And as I was jogging, I was thinking, it is amazing that God has given people talent to make sounds like this. Right. To me, that was acknowledging that the reason these people are so great is because God has given them a gift. And it made me appreciate how God gives people gifts like this. That is acknowledging the presence of God. Is it the normal prayer like, dad, please help this person or please heal this person? No, that's definitely part of prayer. But those moments that there's an interaction with the world around me that enables me to acknowledge, okay, creator. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, sustainer. Oh, giver of life. Right. Oh, healer. Those are just as much connections to heavenly dad as our God in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And that's right in the midst of suffering too. That's what's so interesting because for her, she would have like, for instance, a, uh, you know, there was a couple who um, they had a two month old baby and uh, something tragically happened and the, they lost their child as, as we were talking about, you know, the worst thing you can possibly imagine. And she said in that moment, she would normally not be able to handle talking to them, let alone being there, let alone comforting them. But she felt like she was doing, by her presence, she felt God's presence. She felt like this must be a gift that she's been given to comfort them in this time of need. And it it happened effortlessly, like she wasn't even thinking. And she thought that was that prayer she was like, in a sense. And it is Ephesians 2, 9, for we are his good work. Mm. created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we walk into, that we trip over. That's what that was. Exactly. To walk into it. Yeah. There's so from taking that, I mean, that's, that's great. Well, Carolyn, we thank you for that question. And if you'd like to have your question read on air to get a copy, Carolyn, you're getting a signed copy of Joe's book. If you want, just go ahead and email us. The email is Living the Grace Life Podcast at gmail.com. If we select your question, you will be a winner. So far, we've given away this is our fourth book, Joe. Is wow. that okay? Or have we exceeded our, you had said five or four? Laura, is that okay? <laughs> He's checking. I'm expecting her to call in on the voiceover internet. We'll number give it a go. Any moment. Email us and we'll find out next week. <laughs> so that's our show, though, for today on behalf of. 
Pastor Joe Davis, our studio producer Wayne Delaire, and the entire team at Jump Dog Audio Productions. I'm Jim Hobbs. We will see you next week. And whatever you do, keep looking to Christ so he can keep you living the grace life.